Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform business and themselves. Today, I'm speaking to Jamal Azel, founder of the Change Please, Old Spike Rosary and Coal Rooms Restaurants. Jamal may be best known for Change Please, a social enterprise that trains people um, who are homeless to be baristas paying each person a living wage, providing housing and support for them in further employment. Change Please was listed by the Marketing Week as one of the 100 most disruptive brands for 2017 and Jamal won UK Entrepreneurial of the Year for 2017. Change Please also represented the UK in Chivas Venture Finals to win the World's Best Social Enterprise 2018. I've known Jamal for several years now and on his help, Change Please... um, design and create the strategy for the bus that would travel around the country uh, supplying services and support to people who are homeless. And I have to tell you, he's absolutely a fascinating person to know and I 100% admiration for this man. So first off, how are you doing today? I'm really good, thank you. It's important to state that I'm, we're still here, we're still alive, still going, still optimistic about the future. Um, and a little bit sad about Sir Captain Sir Tom oh, Moore yeah. um, yesterday. Um, uh, which is pretty sad news. But yeah, um, apart from that, excited about uh, what 2021 and the future holds. So tell us a bit about the charity and how you came to the world of this sort of uh, social enterprise. So we've got two elements of what we do is one, one's a charitable arm, one's a social enterprise. And um, from my perspective, it's really one of the key ways that we're going to solve some of the world problems through developing more social businesses, more social enterprises. If companies can look at what products they use through their supply chain and how they um, support up and coming businesses. And if those products that they're already purchasing then start to do good at the same time, and it doesn't cost that company anymore and the quality is still there, then I really think that social enterprise generally is going to be a key factor of how we make a difference in the world that we live in. And I kind of really believed in that model so much that I got on to set up kind of five, six social businesses in the last six years. And it just really inspires me to see that this is the way that we can we can think differently to kind of achieve change in our world. Um, and yeah, I used to work in the city. I had a bit of a midlife crisis when I was, tw- actually, it's not a midlife crisis if I was 29. I thought that means I'll be dying when I'm 60. <laughs> but um, a, th- a third of my life crisis, um, hopefully. <laughs> and um, uh, and yeah, I, I had this kind of inspiration to set up Change Please whilst I was in Vietnam um, in 2013, so seven, eight years ago. Wow, it's amazing. So, you know, how do the profits sort of go back to, um, you know, to help specifically around sort of Change Please or sort of homeless? How do they sort of feed back in? It's almost like cyclical, isn't it, the way it helps? Absolutely. So we generate uh, income from selling coffee to corporates, to places like airlines, train networks, um, a range of B2B companies, Lloyds Bank, for example, and uh, Virgin Atlantics, trains, gym networks. And that that traditional sale generates profit. That profit is then reinvested back in to our impact. And the impact happens through supporting people who are homeless into employment with us by paying them a living wage which is now £23,000 in London per year. Um, we provide housing in 10 days. So we're the only organisation in Europe that offers both a living wage job and housing to people that are homeless. So that to give somebody a home after 10 days of starting their employment is a pretty life-changing opportunity. 
We then provide bank accounts. And probably the most important part of what we offer is um, therapy support. So, uh, you know, whether that person's been a, uh, a military veteran, a victim of domestic abuse or sexual abuse, or gone for a bereavement or a divorce, or one of the many, many, many reasons why somebody's life becomes so bad that they have to, or forced to become homeless. If you're at the beginning of this journey, six, seven years ago, I thought, let's give people a job and a house. And, and well, actually it wasn't even a house. It was a job first. And then we realized that we can also do the housing part. And I thought that would be enough. And then we started to see kind of two or three months later that that honeymoon period, that exciting part of, of their life being changed was actually just temporary. Mm. And that person was still suffering from the demons, the fears, the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, the OCD, all of those kind of mental health challenges that were perpetuated or, or were started by or caused that person to become homeless, but then perpetuated through them being institutionalized, mm. rough sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. And if we didn't break that cycle of first and foremost tackling the mental health areas, then, and really working with that person, then no matter how much you pay someone in the job or how quickly you give somebody housing, it just will go in back into a negative spiral. Mm. Um, and and that, so that's why the mental health area is so important. And I can speak for hours on this. I mean, actually a perfect example is during, um, corona, uh, during COVID this year when we were doing some work for the NHS and the Nightingales, um, we were donating the services. But then the main reason that we did it was obviously because we wanted to help the NHS, but more so it was a lot of our staff who were in the current cohort, 36 people at the time, they, um, uh, they went from working, from having a community of people that they worked alongside to stand and standing behind a coffee machine where they were in a safe space where customers would come to them. Mm. Um, so rather than them begging on the streets and people are, asking people for money, people would come to them and ask them for a cappuccino or a latte. So they, mm. they felt like they had self-worth, um, a place back in society. They were giving back something to somebody else just by giving them a coffee, but behind a safe space. So all of those social structures, all of that um, community integration during COVID was just wiped away. And then we saw our staff, you know, going back to a hostel or to the homes that we provided and, and they were lonely and they were sad. So they still had a job. They were still being paid. They were in a home, but they were sad and they were as as ne a negative space they would have ever been. So it just really goes to show that from our perspective, we really put a lot behind the mental health support. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of our profits go to pay for counsellors, clinical psychologists, um, occupational therapists, which is actually surprisingly super important. I never realised how important it was. And that is a really big part of the whole model of what we offer. Um, and then the final piece of the puzzle is um, the onward employment. So where we work with big contract caterers, um, uh, we will then exit our staff into contract catering sites to work with, um, to, to employ our staff a um, lot more longer term. Um, and the reason that's important is because if we don't provide that onward employment, then we end up getting a bottleneck mm. of where our, we can't bring in new staff because we've got too many people in current employment positions. So we need to exit people out mm. so that we can create new opportunities for people to come in. Basically. Mm. So that was a very long answer to no, your very simple question. I totally love it. And, and how, you know, how many countries does Change Please operate in? I know that you had aspirations for expanding the charity globally. Where are actually you currently based at the moment? 
So uh, UK, Scotland, Ireland, um, Republic of Ireland. Uh, we opened in France with alongside UNICEF. Uh, in Belgium, uh, alongside Oxfam. Um, in um, Australia, we opened in 2019 uh, in Perth, and then uh, now we've expanded into Sydney. Um, and this year, we've got a super big focus on the US market um, in partnership with a huge contract caterer there. <clears throat> and we're looking at sites in the Met Museum, MoMA Museum to replace the current uh, coffee supplies there, but places like Bank of America, et cetera. Um, and, um, uh, and especially in the US, the problem of homelessness is so bad. Mm. Um, and there isn't a safety net like we have in the UK. There aren't uh, a huge amount of outreach centers and, and charities and you know when you hit that destitute point um it your the, the speed of escalation to go into a negative spiral is just mm. is unbelievable in the us it really really is in the uk there are a lot more safety nets to kind of catch people and to and it's really people who in a bad way that you end up, end up being rough sleepers but in, in the us it's a different story completely so this year is a huge focus for us in the us and one of our team members are moving up to Charlotte to set up the, the US office over there later this year. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, I think one of the stories you told me a couple of years ago that always stuck in my mind was around somebody that was a really successful chef, you know, had a great job and, um, you know, came down to London for a new job. And I think his wife and his child got killed in a car accident and then really quickly spiralled out into, you know, a homeless situation. And, you know, it's absolutely heartbreaking. These are just things beyond your control, aren't they? Absolutely. So the, the middle part of that story um, was that, so you're absolutely right, he came to the UK's yeah. family, he was an amazing yeah. chef, had his job, he lost his wife and his daughter, as you mentioned, in 2008, and, and he became homeless, rough sleeping in a new country. The, the, the key part is also that in 2010, whilst he was homeless, he was walking past Blackfriars Bridge. Did I tell you yeah. this to you? No, to keep, tell it, keep telling it, I love it. Yeah, yeah so he was, he was yeah. walking past Blackfriars Bridge, um, and uh, it was a freezing cold night, icy waters in the Thames. Um, anyone who's listening to this, type the name um, Adan Abo Baker, yeah. or just type in homeless man. Um, actually, don't type it in until I tell you the, the story because I was, I was ruin it. So, they, so he was walking past the Thames, he, and then he he heard a scream from behind him, and he saw a lady called Amy jumping into the Thames. who was trying to commit suicide at wow. the time in 2010. Wow. And while it was it was again it was a freezing cold night. Picture yourself. London, icy waters, the, the Blackfriars Bridge was full of people. They were looking over. People had their phones out calling 999, not knowing what to do, how to, you know, how to help. This guy who had lost everything himself was at rock bottom, didn't know where he was even going to sleep that night, ran to the middle of the Thames, of Blackfriars Bridge, sorry, looked over, saw her, took off, took off his clothes, jumped into the Thames after her, into icy waters, when everyone else was just on their phone trying to call an ambulance. He ended up saving her life. He caught hypothermia. Someone stole his clothes. Um, yeah, now now you can Google um, homeless man saves woman from drowning. Um, and as a consequence of that, he in 2012, he won the George Award for bravery from the Queen, which is, as we all know, is the highest civilian award you can get. That That's only given to people that um, have saved people on a battlefield, mm. you know, um, who are really kind of like, the, the, you know, the, the, the best of the best for our society and our, the world, that, the country that we live in. And then he also won the high commendation, which hadn't been given to anybody in 43 years. And they gave oh, it wow. to him. Wow. And that was in 2012. He went to Buckingham Palace, who was given those awards. Prince Charles gave him the award, another award. 
Um, he was just like, at the time, super highly regarded, made every major national, international news story you can imagine. So that was 2012, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, he said to me that as soon as all that press died down and people forgot about him, for those five years afterwards, he went back to the streets and people just saw him in the same way that they would see anyone else that was homeless. Mm. As being potentially a, a drug addict or mm. having mm. mental health issues mm. or unhelpable and it's someone else's problem. And the, the truth of the story was that he was literally, or he is, sorry, literally a national hero. Yeah, amazing. And people would just see him the same. I mean, I'd, I'd say as much as someone like, it's quite controversial, like as much as Sir Tom, you know, yeah, he's, he, yeah. he lost everything and he jumped into the tent yeah. to save somebody and when he was at destitute, you know, and, and yeah, he went back to the streets and he said that, you know, people just saw him in exactly the same way. And then he came and found us and we, we gave him a job um, and we could not find anybody on the open market as a barista who was as good as him mm. because he has the skills mm. as a chef to be able to taste acidity, bitterness, mm. um, sweetness, the key characteristics that you look for in coffee. Mm. He could taste that naturally. Mm. And for someone like him to be homeless in the world's fifth biggest economy um, is just a travesty mm. and wasted to society. Mm. So yeah, he came and found us and we gave him a job and, and then, you know, Comic Relief and BBC did a, a film about him on for Comic Relief on Saturday Kitchen. And then that got some great new press. And then he ended up getting a new job and, and then he moved on from us, which was great. But it's just, you know, what we're looking for, Julia, is um, to look at homelessness in a completely different way. Um, and, you know, uh, to look at it differently to how any other governments are looking at it around the world. And it's not a housing first model, which is what... Um, nearly all governments or NGOs focus on homelessness. It's we focus on a job first model mm. um, to give people the self belief, the dignity, the self worth to lift themselves out of homelessness mm. and not be reliant on somebody else. Mm. And Adan is a is a true representation of that. He constitutes for us the forty four percent of homeless people that we feel want to work and can work, um, as opposed to the fifty six percent of people who probably don't. Some don't want to work, or some do, but they can't. Uh, aren't able to we we focus on the 44 percent of which adan is and was and to stop them from becoming the 56 percent mm. who aren't able to mm. that's um, and that's really our key mission yeah it's an amazing story i know there's so many answers you've got to this question um for the many many years i've known you but you know what do you think bold thinking means to you and what do you think one of the boldest things you've done um yeah i think uh i, I do enjoy problem solving it's, it's a really weird situation and it's it's the obvious answer to that question is kind of thinking outside the box but it's it's trying to think of um innovative solutions that kind of disrupt the status quo and get people to look outside the box to to find innovative solutions and i think that's something that i've really learned um, when we first set up change please or old spike groceries where i am today um the amount of people that said to me if um, uh, and I was I was a commodity broker in the city, and I I had a good job. I was earning good good money, much more than I'm I'm ever I've earned in the five years combined. Um, but it's so people were saying to me, "Why are you leaving your job? It's crazy." If somebody's not, if the idea was good enough, and somebody would already would have already done it, and that is such a dangerous way of thinking. Mm. It traps people into fitting within a box and within that status quo. Mm. 
And from my perspective, I just had to say to myself, you know, we really believe in this way of, of doing it, no matter whether, whether or not someone's done it or not in the past, mm. this is going to work and this is going to be a, a viable option. And, and for me, it was that I think a lot of people can have bold thinking and can have um, the ideas to do something. But the hardest part is that bravery and the confidence to actually go and deliver on that bold thought mm. or that innovation. And that's probably the hardest part. And I think so many things in our society trap people from not being able to um, deliver on that bold that bold thought mm. or that bit of innovation to try and make the world a better place or to have a more innovative mm. product, you know, in whatever they're doing. And I think a lot of those things are financial, financially related. Um, a lot of those things, I think, connected to self-confidence and self-belief and mm. self-worth and so on and so forth. And I think if people are not as much trapped in that kind of debt spiral that we all um, are forced into and they're a bit freer, then I think a lot more people will then actually start delivering on those bold thoughts mm. that they um that that all people I think have. Mm. I remember meeting you uh, several years ago now, and I think one of your ideas you had was about um, having the opening the warehouse. So I want to ask you a bit about that, and also about having the you know getting this change please bus that drives around, and um, which I want to talk to you about. But I think the main thing I really really admire and absolutely totally hundred percent respect you over is you let, you you let nothing stand in your way. And I've heard people say to you, and I've been in the room when they say, oh, you know, it's not going to work and that's too ambitious. We've done that before and you've got all these problems, but you literally have just just waded through and just gone for it. So I'd love you to talk about the bus and the, and the warehouse you're sitting in now and, and the benefits that's brought because you've absolutely brought something to life that's incredibly bold, regardless of anything that's been said to you. Yeah, so the, where we are at the moment is a three, three and a half thousand square foot um, training academy which is a place where we roast our coffee we um train our homeless staff uh, to have the skills and the tools to, to be baristas we provide this is where we provide all the mental health support the counseling therapy etc um and uh it's the world's first charity sca campus which is a kind of the highest level of coffee training that you can get through the speciality coffee association um so it's uh, and it's a cafe as well which is um uh which which makes it help it help, help helps it to be sustainable which is being really great to help consolidate all of the impact that we have and when somebody comes off the street they can come here they can uh have a safe sanctuary and, and learn new skills and then um have a place where they feel safe and then they can move out into uh into employment from here the bus project is something that i've wanted to do for the last two or three years and it's as a result of um, if you look at homelessness on a scale of one to 10, one being people who are the least vulnerable and 10 being the most vulnerable, uh, we are really good at supporting people who are between one and seven. Mm. So that's 80% of our beneficiaries, one to seven and 20% at seven to 10. So um, we wanted to do more for rough sleepers uh, who we also see are in the seven, eight, nine, tens bracket. So people who do have more in-depth mental health issues that aren't ready to work, but do need support, do need life-saving support as well and um what we're launching um is five buses which will be going in london to um provide things like showers haircuts clothes washing spare clothes um there's a doctor's area on the bus as well so they'll be able to uh, remotely tap into a doctor and and the amount of all these things that I'm saying to you, I can think of each one ticking off where you've helped us with relationships <laughs> and connections and ideas. 
even from the um the initial designs that we used to get some of the sponsorship right from the beginning i told you a crazy idea that we had and you were like yeah let's help you let's do it and actually that that's that that helps it come to life and that mm. comes back to that point around confidence that i mentioned when you start seeing it and believing it and touching it and feeling it i really believe in visualization and, and using that as a kind of self-confidence tool and, and that really you know what you gave us was all that ability to tap into the right networks and um and anyway yeah so the clothing part which was another part that you connected us into the right groups for his charity um and uh and also a dentist part on the top deck mm. of, as well which is um a challenge with dentistry for homeless people is that 40 percent of all homeless people have um uh, complained about pain in their mouth but 15 percent of homeless people have tried to pull out their own teeth wow. out of sheer pain wow. so we've got a dentist part of the bus that will um uh be uh supporting those individuals to kind of because dental health directly impacts cardiovascular issues and cognitive issues and also look affects that person's kind of confidence and also haircuts so the idea is that when we're meeting people and, and giving them a service it's a, it, you know for the two or three hours that they're with us it's a bit of a transformational service which allows them to kind of leave the bus looking and feeling completely different yeah and it's that they've now got something to lose again yeah if that makes sense yeah, totally and a lot of the people that we speak to who are rough sleepers say that they are too embarrassed to look at the reflection of themselves in a shop window when they're walking past the shop, which yeah. they must do hundreds of times yeah. a day. Um, and to be able to give them that kind of before and after picture of having a shower and a haircut and a new set of clothes, you know, is for us that first step of them rethinking that they are worth something again. Yeah. And that they, um, and for us, what's powerful about that bus is it means that we can filter people who are might be in that 56% that I mentioned earlier yeah. to see whether or not they might be suitable for, or we might put prejudice or a stigma on them and they might be suitable for our traditional um, model that we have. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we launched five in London, two in Manchester. Um, we're speaking to a partner about doing it in New York as well. Um, and it's just a model that can really go anywhere um, to provide direct services to rough sleepers. And it's completely charitable. We don't make any money out of it at all. Um, as, as we don't with the coffee, but at least coffee, we're selling something, but this is just about using the profits that we've got and with partnerships to kind of make something sustainable and tackle homelessness in a completely different way, really. Did you manage to set up the doctor's sort of surgery thing? Because, I mean, that seems so critical at the moment with COVID and the pandemic. Yeah, so when, so I put a post on LinkedIn, which you, you saw, and then you sent about two or three people my way. So, <laughs> um, you know, it was more than that. Uh, and then... Um, the, uh, my original plan was just to have a doctor service, which was a virtual, um, a remote doctor, sorry, where we would tap into an NHS, existing NHS service. The problem with that is when you tap into those services, they have a two or three hour waiting period until you can actually get that appointment. Um, so we thought rather than that person sitting around for two or three hours waiting for that appointment, we would um, create our own GP service, which meant upstairs where we are at the moment, where I am at the moment, we would um, have a doctor that we employ and register with the NHS. And then that homeless person will have a G, um, will have us as their GP. Mm. And instead of, um, uh, and what they will do is we give, will give them a phone number that they can just send a text message to and, and then say, look, you're, you're my GP. I'd like to see a doctor. I've got a really bad problem. Mm. And then they don't have to travel the length of London 
or try and register with a doctor without any address and go through all of that paperwork. Mm -hmm. But they just send us one text. And the next day or the same day, we will send the bus, one of the buses straight to where they are. And then they'll sit in front of the screen and and speak to a doctor, um, which is their GP service. Um, So we started to notice a few challenges around that model. Um, A few people did tell me, that that's you know if that's such a good idea why haven't people done yeah. it and this one might be a case where they're right um <laughs> and uh is that the nhs only give out certain contracts um to make it a sustainable model so either we'll have to pay for a doctor full-time or one of the other relationships that you've contacted me with might give us a better solution <laughs> when i have the calls with them later next week <laughs> she's brilliant she's amazing so what do you think it's going to take for you for change please uh, to thrive you know obviously at the moment it's really difficult at the moment with the pandemic what do you need and what's going to take to help you to, to thrive and how can people help you i think the first thing is about changing perceptions around social business and um and homelessness generally um, a lot of the issues around homelessness is that as soon as you say the word, it invokes an image um, in your head and it invokes a feeling of, um, you know, not much I can do about this. You know, I, I haven't got a spare room. I can't answer the problem, you know, and then it's almost somebody else's problem um, apart from just donating to a charity. So what I would ask people is when you see a homeless person, you know, at least at the very minimum, a smile, mm-hmm. eye contact mm-hmm. is is something that, it might not be much to us, but it just makes that first person feel a little bit more human mm. and a bit more noticed. Um, and and thinking about that person on a humane perspective as being a brother, a sister, a mother, and mm. what took what made them become homeless in the first place. So that perception mm. um, of homelessness, I think, is so important for us to kind of analyse where that's come from and um, and where we pick that up from. Um, and then the other part from a social enterprise perspective is. We are always tarred with the brush that we are. Um, we focus a lot of our time on the homelessness element and not on the quality of our product. Mm. Um, and the first thing, and I won't mention names of any um, uh, of the uh, companies that we work with, but uh, one of the CEOs of the company that we work with, when I first, we signed the contract and we've been through six months of negotiations, ar- arguing over pennies and we signed the contract. First thing they said to me was, you know, does it taste good? Um, and, um, and you know, that prejudice is something that we, we as social enterprises come up day in, day out. Mm. And we can do all things. You can be price competitive, have a high quality product, um, be easy to purchase and do social impact or environmental impact mm. at the same time. It doesn't have to be one mm. or the other. And that's, that's a big challenge that um, we have to overcome if we want to make the world a better place mm. to give social enterprises a chance. Um, to do good. Um, there doesn't have to be a compromise. And I think we're proving that. And actually, as a result of me always hitting that problem head on, uh, or being faced with that problem, sorry, um, I set up a, so we set up a social enterprise during the pandemic last, start of the pandemic last year, um, called Serious Tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, know, I don't know if I told you um, about this, Julia. So it's um, yeah. uh, seriousTissues.com. Uh, again, <laughs> it's um, a social enterprise, um, which is basically, uh, Every day, um, for just for toilet paper, we flush down the toilet 27,000 trees wow. for toilet paper. Wow. That's crazy. So um, um, so there isn't a huge amount where you can do to stop that um, unless you're, um, uh, if you're planting new trees, you're changing the product to something, something else. So there are alternatives like bamboo or bagasse or there's a manure-based product that strips out. But the problem with those is they're all made in China. Mm. 
and they're being shipped from around the world to come to our toilets in the UK and they're just really unenvironmentally friendly from a shipping perspective but they do are an alternative to trees but so what we've launched is a product that is made in the UK it's um 100% from recycled paper, it plants a tree for every one roll that somebody buys. So it replenishes the trees by a factor of, I have no idea, but by a big factor <laughs> to um, to replant trees that are being chopped down for, for toilet roll use. And uh, there's no bleaches, there's no dyes. We've just done a baby wipe uh, option, which is 100% vegan. It's biodegradable. You can flush it down the loo. Um, uh, it's just insane. And it's just, again, going back to that, how can we do these things differently? How can we solve some of these problems in a bit in a different way? And if you're a corporate that's buying toilet roll already, as again, as long as we can match the price, the quality, and it's easy to buy, why not buy one that plants a um, a tree for every roll a corporate buys, you know, or a, or a consumer buys? And that, that it's those kind of reasons why, uh, and and that's why we set up serious tissues because for coffee, there's a bit of a value element to it. But with toilet roll, most people don't know what their toilet roll actually mm. is. You, we all see soft mm. in supermarkets and stuff, but soft basically means it's made out of virgin pulp, mm. which is, means it's cutting down trees. Yeah. So it's about re-educating yeah. consumers that it can't doesn't have to be white. It can be grey. It can be a little bit coarser, but there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is we, we want to live in a better yeah. world. So, yeah, it's trying to think outside the box a little bit and and educate consumers and change the perceptions of what we're yeah. used to doing. I think that's what, to answer your question, that's what consumers can do. And Well, I have to say, do. the first time I ever met Change Please, a little co- coffee cart outside a London Bridge tube station, and I went and I chatted to the guy and I had the most amazing uh, cup of coffee and then went back and spoke to Paula at Lloyd's and I said, wow, you know, this is just amazing. So I have to say, they have the best tasting coffee ever. I'm, I'm with you. I'm a massive fan of it. Anyway, thanks oh, thank for chatting you. today um, and joining us. Absolutely love talking to you. I could literally be here all, all year. We, we'll talk about the George Clooney <laughs> story next time when you went to Mecca Island and met Richard Branson because that's an amazing one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Julia. I really appreciate the time. So thank you for listening to Bold Thinking, Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told. If you'd like to share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, follow um please get in contact uh, or contact us at hello thehonestbrand.com and if you'd like to make any contributions whatsoever please go on to the change please website look at what the team over there is doing it's absolutely amazing so please join me next time to hear from someone else who's making a positive change in the world thank you so much absolutely love this story all right thanks oh, so amazing. much for your time no have worries. a great day thanks, thanks so much bye-bye